Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putnam are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 289. I am your host, Blaine Padvey, and I'm joined now by my co-hosts, Matt Smith. Good evening. And Treg Wilson. Hello. It's nice to have everyone back again. It is nice. The weather's a lot better here. <laughs> well, this is the second show in a row. Yeah. Yes. But that's that's my thing again. Yeah, that's our record for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's almost like we have real jobs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> just a little. Well, well I didn't job. today, but you know, we all have we all have our crosses to bear. And mine was going out and playing in a hockey tournament all day long with NHL alumni. It was it was a tough tough sacrifice, but I I made it. Sounds pretty rough. It was pretty rough, you know, raising money for Vets Canada to end veterans homelessness on a random Thursday. It was it was hard go. How'd your team fare? Uh, we went three and zero, and the closest the closest game was uh, our nine to two win. Not too bad. So yeah. what you're saying is they benched you for every game. <laughs> And well, for most of the games, for most of them, yeah, yeah, until they got up by like six, seven goals, and then they threw you out for like a 15, 20 second shift. Yeah, and then I just set up a few goals here and there, just you know, out of out of charity, they let me do it, which is understandable. I mean, I was the oldest guy in the division, well, second oldest, Keith Acton, the uh former Montreal Canadian from the 1970s was the only guy older than me in my division. Do you plan against him? Uh, no, did not play against him. Okay. All right. Yeah. So good times. Now uh, we'll get this out of the way right away. We're recording. It's the 10th of November. Obviously, tomorrow's Remembrance Day. All three of us are going to be involved in Remembrance Day ceremonies in one way or another. I'd just like to ask everyone who's listening to take two minutes out of their time. Either you go to a ceremony, you watch it on TV, or if you're working or you're busy, just take two minutes, silently reflect. No one's. We're not asking you to do any more or any less. It's just one of these things where two minutes all it takes just to think about what other people have done, what other people have sacrificed. So from there, I guess we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about the last two games for the Canadians where they played Detroit and where they played Vancouver and there was some news in there as well. We'll cover all of that. So we'll, we'll just start it off with the game in Detroit. The Canadians won three, two in a shootout. Uh, it was an exciting game. It was a back and forth game. Uh, we'll get into some of the side things in a little bit, but we'll talk about the game and its outcome first. Uh, Matt, what did you really enjoy in that game? An effective penalty kill. Because God knows they needed it for that game. <laughs> Those refs were horrible. Uh, they really were. Um, I'm going to give a huge shout out to David Savard right off the hop. Uh, he played 23-20 despite taking 12 minutes in penalties. Uh, the guy had a great game overall defensively. Um, and he stood up for, uh, he kind of stood up for his team when he, when he realized that uh, they were on the wrong end of a few calls and, uh, he really gave the uh, the ref uh, a piece of his mind, and apparently the ref got his hurt, uh, got his uh, 
feelings hurt a little bit and gave him a misconduct at the end of the period. So started the third period uh, in the box for the first 10 and the Canadians were able to kind of weather the storm um, multiple times throughout that game. And I know we'll get into another reason in a bit, but um, overall, as you said, it was uh, it was an exciting game to watch. And uh, despite the Canadians playing on the PK for the majority of the time for myself, it was out of Mike Hoffman, um, who scored both goals. Gallagher set him up both times. Um, it's nice to see uh, somebody not named Suzuki or Caulfield on the score sheet. And actually in that game, neither of them um, put up a point. And it was the first time this year that uh, neither of them had been on the score sheet. So I'm very happy to see that. Um, all in all, I thought uh, Jake Allen was really the reason they won that game. He's continued to play extremely well. And um, hopefully they can, you know, continue riding this uh, this wave right now of uh, of victories because it's uh, they're playing some exciting hockey and uh, there's some there's some people out there that are wanting them to tank and and get a top three pick and everything like that. But I'm liking what I'm seeing in this team. It's really uh, you've got the guys that you know that they're building for the future, and then you've got these mix match pieces and. Um, in Hoffman and in uh, uh, Monahan and Dadnov and those kind of players, and and they're finding ways to to win or at least be close in a lot of these games. So um, good on them for that victory, and uh, they can hopefully they can keep it up. Well, on that penalty kill, uh, the Canadians were seven for seven on the penalty kill. Uh, their power play, it would have been nice for them to score, but they were zero for one on the power play and it wasn't even a full two minutes yeah. so we can't really crap on them too much for that uh as for savard uh basically basically he told the referees to pull their heads out of their asses because a lot of the calls were chintzy calls one way but none the other way and he did not like that yeah i think he gained a lot of respect from from fans and and, and he's already a guy that's respected in the locker room but for a, for a, for a, for a veteran to step up like that, I thought it was pretty big for him to do. He kind of had to do it when you think about it, because Jesus, some of the calls were were just terrible. Well, look at the penalty shot. He had a clear scoring chance during that during that play, and they still gave him a penalty shot. Right. Um, there were there were announcers in Detroit who were confused as to why a penalty shot was given. Yeah. And the slash, I say in air quotes, that uh, Larkin received on that play was really, really weak. It was one of those little taps on the leg as he's like, it was just, I mean, my kid has hit people harder. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh... I don't know what the refs were thinking in both games, Detroit and Vancouver, because the uh, Vancouver game wasn't called very well either. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the Habs did have more power. Uh, it was good to see Savard step up like that. He's one of the leaders on the bench there. He's an older guy. He's going to be there for another two years. So he, he maybe, I mean, according to his contract. Uh, and uh, that guy, he, you know, he's, he's doing a, an excellent job for a guy playing at a position. When I say playing a position, he's playing first line, first pairing minutes when he's a second or third pairing defenseman. And uh, with he's a rookie. with a rookie, Caden Gooley. And them two have been dynamic together. Um, so I'll give props to him for sticking up for the team and sticking up, to, you know, taking the... Uh, they were saying on the broadcast... <clears throat> The reason that he got the penalty, because most veterans get away with that, is because he was so animate about it. If it would have been just him standing there talking to the ref, he probably wouldn't have got the 10 minutes. But he was animate because he was so mad. He was so mad, especially at the call that he got near the end of it, because it was just a chintzy little, oh, you know, and we seen... And, and this is a trend in the NHL the last few years. We'll see these weak calls being made you know, like the little tiny push or the the stick under the it's now a hook to try to lift a stick. Yeah. So if you go to lift a stick and you don't actually lift it, you're going to get a hooking penalty, uh, even though you didn't impede the guy going to the net. However, you'll see these little plays 
14, 15, 16, 17 times a game, but you only see them called once or twice. And the point is, all right, if you're going to call that, then call it every single time, right? Because how is a player supposed to know, like, I'm a bit old school, but if you look back in the 80s and 90s, the refs would either put their whistles away or they'd blow everything. And I don't know, maybe I was more naive then about referees, but I just felt they called a more even game back in the day. A more fair game. Sometimes the calls were one-sided, but that was, they were going to call one thing. So they're going to call cross-checking in front of the net. Doesn't matter who's doing it. That's what they're calling. It could just be one team doing it, but they're just, that's what they're calling. At least then the players know I can do this. I can do it or I can't do this. All right. That's oh, right. You're calling that. So here, so here's what happens, especially when you have a young teams, like you look at Anaheim or, or Montreal first to a certain point, all these with young players, they're going out there and they're like, well, what can or can't I do? Like, I don't know. Like, can, can I try to lift a stick? Cause if I, if I'm behind them and try to lift a stick, it's a hooking penalty, even though I'm not hooking him, I'm just lifting a stick Yeah. to me, a hook to me, a hooking penalty was always in the, you're, you're grabbing a guy by the waist of the pants and you're trying to haul him back. Yeah. Look that, at the holding the hands. Look at the holding penalty on Gooley. Yeah. Well, yeah. You've got a guy that's that big, and I think it was Solderbaum that uh, was holding him back. It was it was him or Rasmussen. It was a bigger one of their bigger players. Yeah. And then they fall back, and it's like, and okay, you guys can get up and skate away, and an or, arm an arm flies up. Or they could have both got holding penalties. Yeah. Because they were both holding each other. Right. The right. worst or one. Don't was, call the, either. The worst one was definitely exactly. the Savard push trip. That was yeah. awful. So or the Gooley penalty where he uh, he finished his check with a clean check on a guy with minutes, the puck. He got two minutes for being stronger. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a, that, yeah. I hate that penalty. I hate that penalty when a when a bigger guy checks another guy, and he loses the puck or loses balance, and it's a penalty interference or you know like how how is that a penalty um it was he hit someone who was way bigger than him and somehow this guy's feet went from under him to directly out in front of him in some cartoonish fashion and yet somehow they call a penalty on that right i mean i don't know if we're going to segue into this but there was only one penalty to the canadians that was well deserved yeah yeah sure let's let's do that now we're talking about the game, so we might as well get into it now. Yeah. So yeah, and that was Slavkovsky's penalty. Well deserved penalty. Well deserved suspension. Uh, I thought because he was a rookie, he might only get a fine or a one game. But uh, Anderson got two game two games for a similar hit, and I'm not one to praise player safety, but maybe they said, "All right, you know what? They're similar hits. You're getting the same." Uh, I think the injury had a huge thing to play in the suspension. The the kids yeah, going to be out ten to twelve weeks. That. Um, but for me, I'm fine with the two games. Sure. Yeah. It was a dangerous hit. Um, the guy got hurt. Um, if he didn't get hurt, I could see a fine or one game personally, but, uh, so it was, was not a clean hit. It was a dangerous hit. He did let up. He didn't go full force into him, but he still put himself in position to make that check when he, when he shouldn't have. And, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not disagreeing with that point. I think that's a valid point, but, would that hit have happened? Like the hit could have happened, but the outcome where the guy Luff actually gets knocked on his ass, would that have happened if Slavkowski wasn't six foot four, two hundred thirty eight pounds? No, his size played into it. But he still clearly he still did. He it. did. He <laughs> did. Yeah. No, I'm not arguing that point. He yeah. totally did it. But it it was worse because he's such a big kid. Right. So you're so, saying if it was, if it was Caulfield. So you're right. You're saying it was Caulfield. It might not have been as a dangerous hit as it was for Slavkowski. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Pretty much. Yeah. Would would they have suspended Caulfield? No, I don't think so because Luff would have not gone down. Well, that's a probably, factor. It probably would have been a penalty because Luff wouldn't have gone down. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know for sure, but I yeah. I doubt it. But this is my point that I'm trying yeah, to I make. see it. And you look at the, uh, sorry. So you, you froze yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. sorry. So <laughs> um, the point I'm trying to make is uh, Slavkovsky needs to understand that he is fucking huge. And he yeah. really needs to, to learn 
not to hit people two to three feet out from the boards. If you want to nail someone, you do it up against the boards, shoulder to shoulder, face to face. So I'm hoping that what happens with this is that he doesn't start shying away from physical contact because we started to see him playing a little bit more along the boards and using his body a little bit more. So I'm hoping this doesn't scare off a young player from using his size to his advantage and really being the, uh, being the player that, uh, that he can be at this, at this level. Um, on the hit itself, like it was a war, the suspension was warranted 100%. Um, you look at the two hits and yes, we can say that they're similar, but if Anderson would have, like if you, if, if he would have hit him at the speed that Anderson hit Petrangelo, we're probably talking about a much, uh, much, uh, worse outcome for luff we're talking about um, a death at this point right? I mean, so, holy shit like it, it really was um it, you know it was a dirty hit it wasn't i don't think it was malicious in any no. in any way um and really like when i slowed it down it was really kind of the way that he fell and he went kind yeah. of like he, he put his he put his hand out to not slam his face off the boards and uh unfortunately he busted his wrist up in the in the uh in the uh, in the process so now on that i i understand that it's an injury it's bad four months being out after a surgery that's horrible that sucks especially how, for a guy that's, especially for a guy that's starting, trying yeah. to stay in the lineup right and it's but how often team. have you seen yeah and how often have you seen a team not only release the exact injury but the exact amount of time it'll take to recover all within 24 hours. Well, they did that. We know why did, we know why, like um, they were playing I, it up and they got, I think because of that, they got at least one more game out of it. Well, you look, and that's at, fine. Look, look at the way social media reacted to it. When they, as soon as that came out, there were people saying that he should get, you know, 15 games, get 25 games, et cetera. Some some people uh, some people from the Sportsnet panel um, were saying, "Oh, throw the book at him! This guy has to learn." It's like the guy's played what nine games, ten games in the NHL. That, like, that was his tenth right, game, right? He's got to learn, is what they're saying. It's like throw the throw the book at this guy. It's like give me a break. Yeah, the first defense. I mean, it, clearly he let up, and I. I'm still, I still agree with the two games. I really, really do. I still agree with those two games, but he did let up. The injury is unfortunate, but they're not supposed to really rely on injuries to be a catalyst for suspensions. That's true. Because sometimes a player who makes a bad play just gets lucky not to hurt someone. Yeah. Well, that's like the Petrangelo. He wasn't hurt, right? No, he and was up. Anderson. He was up throwing- he was and Anderson, <laughs> yeah, Anderson intended to throw him into the boards. Like his oh, whole hit, yes. his whole yes. hit was like I, I'm not going to say Anderson intentionally tried to hit him from behind. It just so happened he hit him from behind. Yeah, he wanted his to finish whole, his check. He wanted to finish his check, whether it was from behind, from the front, or from the side. It just happened. Yeah, he was going to make contact one way or another, one way or the other. Yeah. And uh, well, Knuckles talked about that hit in his show, and he mentioned, you know what Anderson did was wrong because he was coming from like 50 fucking feet away. Yeah. But Peter Angelo turned at the last second, which is something that a lot of players have been doing a lot of lately. And I think it's dangerous. You're putting yourself in a bad position. You know, a hit's coming, prepare yourself. Especially don't, in front, especially don't put in front yourself of the like that, especially in front of the bed. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, it's bad enough getting hit into the boards like that, but you're in the, if you're in the bench and you're hitting your face on the top of the bench or anything like that, like that's, that's that's some dangerous area right there. You still think Anderson would be facing a suspension for a hit like that. But now at least if you're not turning your back to the guy, you're not risking a broken neck or a broken shoulder or whatever. Right. right. Uh, they're trying to draw the penalty. Yeah. Oh, it's with these referees, it doesn't take a lot. Yeah. Well, depends on who you are, what team you play for. It, it was, no, it really doesn't. I I watch a lot of other games. I, I saw the uh, Kaprizov uh, slash on Drew Doughty, um, you know, the most handsome man in the NHL, took a slash to the face, and Kaprizov got a $5,000 fine. And the referees barely looked at it as if it was anything. That whole game, it was as poorly officiated 
as any other game we watched in the last freaking two months. But that's what I mean. Now, if someone like Tom Wilson hit Drew Doughty in the face, you know what I mean? This is what I mean. Kiprasov got a 5,000 yeah. fine because he's Kiprasov. Mick, Mick elbows, throws his elbows in people's face all the time. And sometimes he doesn't get anything for it. Sometimes he gets you know, the other, the other guy gets two minutes, uh, two minutes or two games for, for putting his right. face in his way. So I do find the league haters to some players when it comes to stuff like that. McDavid has thrown, I don't know how many elbows and got the league maximum fine. Right. But he's yeah. never, ever once been suspended. Like how many league? On that you get before you warn a suspension yeah exactly 12 50 how many <laughs> how many blocker shots to the face does it take for someone to call something on uh, a goalie punching gallagher sure infinity however they did get a power play out of that so i mean we're talking about the next game now but <laughs> um but I, i'm just saying like in a guy like gallagher he gets called for everything the Chara hit on Gallagher when he hit him in the face. Oh, well, he's just taller than you. It's still my face. Yeah. He still has an obligation not to hit me in the face. Right? So. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and if that's an excuse that they're giving for Chara, then you can't, you got to use that for everybody. Uh, Slavkovsky shouldn't get suspended because he's just bigger. Well, and, that, and that's, that's kind of my point. And this, this is the issue with player safety and the refereeing. It's not consistent. It's no. it, it protects some people and other people they don't give a shit about. Like, wow, who's this guy? Two two games, five games. Yeah. You know, exact same altercation, but that guy got five games and this guy got a fine. Well, it was the exact same thing. Right. Well, one guy <laughs> scores 40 goals, the other guy doesn't. So one guy puts that's basically what it is. One guy puts butts in the seats and the other guy doesn't put butts in the seats. So exactly. But back to the Detroit game itself. So Hoffman scoring those two goals off of really Gallagher setting those plays up, creating that opportunity, but Hoffman being Johnny on the spot in the exact same position for both goals. Uh, just that, I think it's starting to really st put him back into, uh, into a role because his underlying numbers Hoffman's are really, really good. His advanced stats are, enough. are amazing. His, for Hoffman, which I find odd, yeah. his advanced stats yeah. are—they're uh, second in the team to Doc. So, uh, um, but he is still playing against lower tier yeah, matchups. Yeah, I, 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 but I'm just throwing out the fact that Mike Hoffman. Yeah. If you look at his advanced stats, he's actually playing good hockey. And he's been snake bitten. Let's be honest. I mean, with those kinds of numbers, he should be scoring more. So getting those two goals against Detroit, I think that that'll start rebuilding his confidence a little bit and get him going. Um, but holy shit. Value. Yeah, up his trade value. But holy shit. The young guys and that shootout. Holy crap. That goal that Suzuki scored was just unbelievable. The funny thing about that goal that Suzuki scored is I truly believe Huso was playing him to Datsukit. Yeah. And when and when yeah, he, Huso, do the same thing. Yeah. he thought he was going to do the same thing. And when Huso didn't move the way Suzuki wanted him, he just changed his shot. Because yeah. he came in yeah. last penalty shot against who, who was it? Vegas? No, uh Arizona. 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 He came in the exact same way. So Huso was like, Oh, I know what he's gonna do. And then he went to play that, and Suzuki was like, oh, you think I'm going to do that? All right, I'll do this. Yay. Yeah. See, that move is really, really smart because he can he can Datsuk it, he can snipe a top shelf other side, or he can just fly one directly in, five hole. Like, he's got several options from that one entry, and he's able to do them all. Adding on to the, uh, to the shootout, I felt bad for Drouin. He, that was a good uh, he, play. That was that was a good move. Right? He had the, he had the goalie beat. He just couldn't elevate the puck. And well, was it in the if, uh, if there, if there was the a game? If there was a guy that needed a goal, Vancouver game. Yeah, that no, was Vancouver game. game. But yeah. if there was a guy that needed a big moment, even though it wasn't it was at, even though it wasn't at home, like a guy that needed a a moment, a, a game winner, right? 
even though it was just it was in a shootout it was it was true and i thought that would have been great for him and it's too bad it didn't happen but Allen came up big in the shootout and uh and they secured that win so came up big in the entire game he did played really well that game and he's not getting enough credit for he's changed his game somewhat he's a lot more responsible he still makes errors like everybody else but He's far more responsible in his game. Uh, he's just not scoring. <laughs> and that's essentially I, what he's uh, going to be judged on, is his, his production. Well, I mean, he's more of a setup guy anyway, not a goal scorer, but uh, that's everyone looks like goals. So if you're, if you're not scoring, oh, we're paying this guy five and a half million, he should have 30 goals. But I've, you know what? I've defended, 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 defended Druin. It's his last year of his contract. Uh, I say just leave the guy be. At the end of the year, he's not coming back. He's not coming back to the Canadians. He's either going to gone, be gone before the year ends or they're not going to re-sign him. Um, unless he takes a major discount. Um, no. No. And, and I, by major discount, I mean league minimum. Well, you're um, looking at a guy right now that's played 11 games, got three assists, and he's taken nine shots. That doesn't scream to me. Keep me in the lineup. How I I agree with you. His his his, his stats don't. But if you watch him play, if you watch the he's forechecking, he back checking more more than what he, he he's was fighting about. for the puck. Uh, he's more engaged. Like people, I, I I see on faith. Oh, every time Montreal's not doing well, Druin was a bum. Druin was a bum, but he really wasn't. If you really look. Dadunov, yes. Actually, Dadunov's best game is the Vancouver game, and we'll get into yes. that soon. Yes, it was. But uh, um, but Dadunov, he, you know, he's been terrible. Pitlick was terrible until he got sent down to Laval. Uh, you know, but everyone's Druin, 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 because they all expect Druin to be have all these points. And guess what? He right, He's snake-bitten right now. Uh, I think he's not the same player because of both of his wrists. Um Anyway, he's gone at the end of the year. Drop, leave it. It's over. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's gone at nope. the end of the year. And then and then you'll have to pick someone else to blame everything on when the uh, Habs don't play well. Well, we'll have to figure out who's going to be the uh, the new Spachek goat mm. uh, next season. But for now, it is Drew, eh? Uh, but I know there's, that first line right now is definitely not a goat. Suzuki, Caulfield, Doc, that line, holy shit. Flying. Run well, all three are point per game players as a line. Doc's slightly under. 12 no, points. As a line. Uh, while they're oh, playing as together, they're yeah. all a point per game yeah. in yeah. the games yeah. they played together. Yeah. Yeah. Doc has eight points his last six games. And yeah. yeah they, Suzuki. They have like 27 points or something between yeah. the three of them or something. Something stupid, right? In six games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there's been lots of talk on Twitter today about the fact it's not sustainable and Suzuki and Caulfield would never be a top line pair on any other team. And so, but if you look at the stats, yeah, you're absolutely right. Suzuki's not going to maintain a 27% shooting percentage. Shouldn't, but what if he does? Then he's scoring 60 goals. However, if he drops back to a normal percentage, which would only be half of the 27, 13%, right? He's still going to get 30 to 40 goals. He's still going to score 70 to 80. Right now he's on pace for exactly 100 points. 99.7 points is what he's on pace for. What a shitty center. That 52, is no way a top line center. 52 goals and 100 points. It's one of the worst contracts in the league though. Number nine oh, on the worst contract he, list. He, he was trying to defend that the other day. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> How? Oh, at the How? time at the time that he put it out, these were his numbers and his projections. He never did say he was using a shitty friggin' uh uh what do you call it? A shitty obsolete. why was he using graphic? that contract for a player who was on an entry level deal producing those levels? Because he was because he surmised that he wasn't he was going to produce at the same levels he was already producing at. That's why. That's why. Mm-hmm. Funny, I don't see Nealander on that list. He did good this season. Then he did better this season. 
It's probably going to do better the next season. He went, no, he's, he's already reached his peak. He's done. According to him that yeah. he never came out and said that, but that's exactly the, the way he looked at it. Um, but I mean, if, if I, I was doing the numbers today, you look at Suzuki's on pace for nine, 52 goals, 99 points. You got uh, uh, Caulfield on pace for 46 goals and 80 some odd points, 86 points, I think. And you have Doc on pace for um, about 30, 70 points. 31, exactly 70. 31 goals, 70 points, I think is what it is. Um, and there's no reason why they can't keep that pace up. Now, they're not going to – I don't want to say they're not going to because if you look at Suzuki and Caulfield – you they're a point per game player for the past 50 games under Martin St. Louis. So before everyone sits there and says it's only been 14 games, actually it has not been only 14 games. It's been 51. If you go back to the 37 games from the year before where they were both a point per game player. So where do you draw the line? Where do you sit there and say, it's just a small sample size. We've already played 50 games is almost an entire season. Right. You're not allowed to use last season's numbers to project this season unless you're using last season's numbers to project this season to say they suck. Right. Uh, but I'm just I'm just saying I'm just using the numbers under Martin St. Louis as the head coach. I'm fair. I'm not which is fair, which is fair because he's the head coach. And since he took over, this is the rate they've been playing at. So why isn't this sustainable? Why isn't the point per game sustainable? I will agree the shooting percentage will not be sustainable, the 27%. Maybe he'll start shooting more and the percentage will go down. But Maybe. it evens out. But you also have to remember Suzuki shoots when he knows he has a chance to score. Yeah, he's not, he a volume, he's not a volume shooter. When he doesn't think he can score, he looks to give it to Caulfield to see if he can score. Right. Matter of fact, he's always looking to give it to Caulfield when he come, comes into the offensive zone. However, when he knows he can't get it to him, that's when he tries to pick his spots. So you have a point blame. Why can't it stay at 27? Why can't it? Just because of the way Suzuki plays his game. I mean, if Slavkos you look at the heat map, Slavkos the heat map at, of his shooting. Yeah. Yeah. It's right, right where he is all the time. It's in a high danger zone. So why can't it stay high? And look at Slavkoski, three goals on 10 shots. He has a 30% shooting rate. And if you go on uh, the hockey writers right now, I have an article that just came out that says Suzuki or uh, Slavkowski deserves more ice time. Uh, <laughs> Once he's not suspended anymore. When he comes back from a suspension. But I say that because now I don't think, I don't think Doc should be taken. Pops off like a, like a stone off the side of a mountain. As of right now, he should not be taken off that first line. But I do believe Sokoski should be moved up to at least the third line or the or or the second line. I'd like to see him play with Monahan. Yeah, play him with well, Monahan. Before, throw, throw Anderson on the other wing. Well, before uh before Slavkowski got uh, made that hit, got suspended, he was playing with Monahan and he was looking really, really good. Then he went and made that play. Yeah, because mid-game they switched him up to the to the third line. He was yeah. also against Vancouver supposed to get first line power play minutes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was going to take Drew spot on the first line. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and Martin St. Louis did say he's going to take him slow. And, you know, so he, he started on the third, I think dropped to the fourth. And then after his game got more comfortable, he got a little bit of power play time and he's just starting to now uh, before suspension, get more confidence in him, get more minutes and blah, blah, blah. So I believe by Christmas time, you're going to see him up at least on the third line uh, with, with power play time. Um, and what we really need to start looking at as the Canadians record right now being seven, six and one after the Vancouver game. And we'll get into the Vancouver game here in a minute, but I don't think the Canadians would be where they're at if it wasn't for Allen and Montambo, their level of play has been excellent. They're second in the league for saves above uh, saves above expected. Yeah, they're combined for a nine uh, nine fifteen save percentage right now. Sam Montembeau is blowing me away. You all know how I felt about Sam Montembeau. I was saying uh, why. Not he is ex he is a totally different goalie this year. He's controlling his rebounds. He's deflecting. Uh, he's deflecting shots into the corners. 
He's not getting rattled after letting in a goal. Um, I can't count on all my hands how many bad goals he let in in a game. Um, yeah. Whereas whereas last year he would make 15 great saves, but then these three goals would go in. You're like, how the hell did that get in? Um, this year, you don't see any of that from him. His confidence is way up. My question is, we're talking about sustaining shooting percentages. Allen's going to play like Allen. Allen so far this year has played exactly the way Allen does. He has some bad games. He has some good games. And that's exactly the way Allen's career has been. Um, he's a fringe starter. Better off as a backup, but a fringe starter. But Montembeau is an enigma right now because he hasn't really had a bad game. Yeah, uh, no, that's true. Yeah, no. And yeah, even his first game against Detroit, yes, all three goals, you could sit there and probably go, eh. <laughs> goals, but it's not like the offense was doing anything anyway, right? So, no. um, but he hasn't really, like, I can't look at, last year when he got nets, I was always terrified because I was like, well, I don't know if I want to watch this game because, you know, and but this year it's, um, he's an enigma. I'll just say that. I no longer think he's an AHL goalie. <laughs> I I For have now. a feeling that I do have a feeling that everyone's going to be regressing to the mean oh, here soon. Uh the this record, the Canadians are middle of the pack in the NHL right now, somewhere in there. I don't think it's going to sustain. So everyone who's, you know, hardcore I'm for Bedard train, just ease up. These guys are they're I would much rather watch a team in, who's transitioning from rebuild to more competitive, putting in competitive games like this, because these young guys are the ones leading the way. It's not, it's not Hoffman and Drew and, and Dvorak and all the older guys carrying the team. It's Suzuki. It's Caulfield. It's Gooley Harris. It's the young guys who are picking this team up and carrying them along. You want to see that. The thing is, is a lot of people are fooled by last year's record and they're not thinking about the 700 man games missed due to injury. Even if you take price out of the picture last year, Montreal does not finish last in the league. If everyone is relatively healthy, they don't, I'm sorry, but they don't, they're not going to make the playoffs. Don't get me wrong, but they're not, they're not finishing maybe bottom five, maybe, but they would have finished, I think, exactly where I think they're going to finish this year in that bottom 10, but around seven, seventh or eighth from the bottom, which is where I think they're going to fit. That, that we're around there. They're not bottom five. I mean, they could win the lottery. They still could, but you got to remember I, I Florida don't. still has, they still have Florida's first round pick as well. So I know a lot of people Florida's are freaking, shit in the bed. Right. I know a lot of, I know a lot of people are freaking out saying that the Canadians might not pick in the top five, top you know, probably the top five, top three, like what everyone wanted, but um, they're still going to have two first round picks. And yeah. if, it, if Florida keeps playing the way they're playing, they could have two first round picks in the top 15. Um, right. They, they've lost half their defense. So <laughs> to injury, however, it's not going to matter if they finish bottom 10, they're still getting probably a player who's going to turn out to be a star of the NHL. Right. This NHL draft, the top 10, the top 12, you're looking at a player that could probably jump into the league next year and start being successful almost right away. There's a lot of skill this year. And we'll be there. Yes. We will yes. be there. <laughs> Hotel uh, is booked. Looking... Yeah, Hotel is booked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're looking at that top 10, uh, you're looking at players like Matt Mitchkov, who's probably going to slide down because of the Russian factor, uh, right. Leo Carlson, Zach Benson, Dalibor Dvorsky, uh, Matthew Wood, Callum Ritchie in Oshawa. I mean, you've got a list of these really high-end forwards. And the first defenseman that pops up is Cameron Allen. And he's a right defenseman. So he's somewhere, he's expected to go somewhere around 15 to 20. So even if the Canadians pick is in there, I mean, you got a right-hand defenseman who is looking to become likely a top-pairing type. Um, and if you're looking at the Florida pick, it's right now it's around 22. 
I mean, but still, does anyone expect Florida to win the division or win a playoff series? So if they're around 22, you got guys like Charlie Strammel, uh, Otto Stenberg, Nate Danielson. There's a lot of really, really good hockey players at that. And, and there's no guarantee that uh, there's nothing saying that the Canadians won't get another first round pick somehow. They might. I'm expecting more second round picks, but maybe. But the thing is, this this draft uh, in that first round and early in the second, you're looking at players who are first liners. Uh, you got a couple of guys who could become uh, either franchise defining t- players and maybe a generational talent, maybe. But Bedard and Fantilli, I think those two guys are going to be franchise cornerstone players. And then you got first liners, uh, some really good second liners. And then it drops off after that. But the first 30 to 40 players fit in there. You could, I, I like what you say about Mitchkov and the in the Russian factor, but you could also look at him as close to being a franchise cornerstone player. Could. Could. Um, but after Fantelli and Bedard, you still have those next eight players are still yeah. going to be superstar NHL players. We're talking top line players. And eight of those 10 players are centers. So everyone crying about how the Canadians don't have a second line center. They need Bedard. No, they don't need Bedard. It'd be great to get Bedard or Fantilli. Don't get me wrong. If I had the choice, I'd pick Fantilli. uh, You know what? I think I would too. I'll take the six foot three center. I'll throw something out about Mitchkov as well. He still has a contract with uh, St. Petersburg that runs yeah. through 25-26. So some players, some teams might. And then he'll resign and maybe he'll be there a lot longer, kind of like what uh, uh, Kirill Kaprasov was. But then you see when Kaprasov hit the league, he was, he just, he just hit the ground running, right? So that's why I think he might slide. He If the Canadians do end up outside the top 10 and Mitch Kov's there. You've got to jump him. on him. You've got to. You've got to. So what if he takes three to four years to show up? In yeah, three, four gotta, years, you got yourself a first-line winger. Yeah, you've got to take that kid. You have to, yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're looking to uh, to draft best player available, if you're sitting at number 11 and it's Mitchkov's name, you pick him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You don't pass up on that. That's right. No. And then when he starts playing only two minutes a game because they know he's going to go to the NHL, he's soon going to leave. Right. Well, last year he played in the MHL for the majority of his years and put up 22, uh, 22 goals in 22 games. This year he's playing in the VHL and he's got eight goals in eight games. So the guys, the guy, he knows how to put the puck in the net. And if, if they can walk out with a player like that, it'd be insane. Personally, I think uh, I like that. Is it Carlson? What's his name? Uh, Leo Carlson. Leo Carlson. If the Canadians are picking around seventh, eighth, or ninth, I think that's the guy that uh, they should be looking at. Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah, I I really like that kid. He's he's lighting up the Swedish league, and he's a six foot three center who skates like the wind, has great hands, and deals with the physical aspect of the game real well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, tankers, but they're they're not getting Bedard. They're getting divorced because he's Slovak. <laughs> Ooh, just lighten them all up. Divorce um, Slovaske and Messer on the line. There you go. There you go. That's a future future line. Now uh, we'll move on to the Vancouver game real quick because we're at uh, we're at about forty some odd minutes of the show and we've just been rambling. So let's get to the Vancouver game. The Canadians came back home after. Uh, stealing two points out of Detroit because they they definitely stole that, being shorthanded almost the entire game, outshot, uh, Allen playing as well as he was. They took those two points and they got the hell out of Dodge. They get to they get to Montreal and they're facing off against the Canucks, who are a desperate desperate hockey team looking to win a couple of games because they've been shitting the bed hard. They're, they're a team that's supposed to be making the playoffs and maybe even making a push in the playoffs. And yet they kind of suck. They've got the players to do it. 
They're just not. Yeah. They're just not working together. You look at you look at a guy like uh, Horvat. You you'd expect a lot more out of that team right now. And not to mention Horvat's in the last year of a deal. Yeah. Does he want to stay there? He's been there eight years. They made the playoff once. Does he want to stay? Well, you got Patterson with 18 points, Dvorak with 16, Miller 13 out of 14, Quentin Hughes 12 out of 10. Uh, I mean, they're they're scoring. They're getting points. The problem is, is you have a guy like Thatcher Demko who can't stop a beach ball. Yeah, they can't hold on to a lead. That's like that's their big no. issue right now. How many games at the start of the year? I think it was like five out of six games or, or six out of seven games or something. They had the lead and then lost the game because of, and after holding a multi-goal lead. I mean, they 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 got rid of Markstrom because Thatcher Demko was the future, and let's be honest, everyone thought that Thatcher Demko was going to be, and he's one seven and two, with a four goals against average and an eight point eight seven four save percentage. Wow! Uh, he, it's amazing how good goaltending makes a coach look great, and bad goaltending uh, goaltending makes a coach get fired. Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean Martin, the 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 backup, he's three zero and one, but again, he's only has a nine hundred save percentage. So it's not like their the goaltending has been terrible. So it's not like they can't score. The problem is, is they're scoring their three, four, or five goals a game, but they're allowing four, five, six goals a game back, and that that that's the problem. Um, nothing against Quinn Hughes, but he's not really a defensive defenseman. He's one of he's more like your Paul Coffey type defenseman who you know, it's going to put up a bunch of numbers, but he's kind of useless in his own end. Although Paul Coffey wasn't that useless, but. um, yeah. So, yeah, so but Vancouver to the game, to the game. So, <laughs> I mean, Kirby Doc had a hell of a game. He, uh, he, he just like Hoffman, he was in the right place at the right time for both his goals. Uh, it shows that Montreal starting to go to the net more than what they were doing. Uh, Gallagher certainly liked going to the net in that game uh, to the point where Demko didn't like him going to the net. Um, Suzuki had a beautiful power play goal 55 seconds into the game. And uh, that's something that Montreal's improving on. Their power play has gotten better since uh, the beginning of the season, since they went 0 for 18 start the season. Um, anyway, Matt, you say something. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just liking that uh, the, the uh, you know they they had a four not they had a four nothing lead at one point in this game, and the the crowd was into it the the players were into it the, they were uh, they were playing all their lines they were playing all their defensive pairings etc. Nobody got overexerted, but then what I didn't like is after they kind of stopped playing for a little while. And then Hoglander scored his goal, and all of a sudden you get a four-two. It's a it's a it's a four-two game at this point, and they didn't really make any adjustments to the bench. They didn't really do anything. They were still kind of just rolling the lines how they they saw fit. Then there was the power play where they hit two or three posts on that power play. Hey, this game could have been so much more different than what it was. Um, I'm very happy with the outcome. Obviously, it was nice to see uh, Jack I get a get another goal. Um, Doc looked very good, as did the top line, and uh, Hoffman continued to score. And it was a it wasn't a wide open net. It wasn't a gimme. It was a it was a well placed shot that he scored. And I'm hoping that this is waking him up because, as I said before, when we were talking about the uh, Detroit game, they need this secondary scoring. And in this game. You got one from Hoffman, but then the other ones besides Jack eyes were all from the top line. Montreal had an 18 to nine shot advantage about halfway through the game, I think yeah. with about, and then they had that date when they took the four, nothing lead. That's when they kind of took their foot off the gas yes. and uh, Vancouver ended up out shooting them 33, 29 for their, they, yeah. they were out shot 15 to five in the third period. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it showed yeah. and it showed, but you look at the, uh, you look at the time on ice for, Everyone that was there, nobody played more than 1942. And that uh, was and that was Edmondson. No, that's wrong. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. I thought right. Jack and I played 20 minutes. Sorry. Right. But nobody played more than 19 minutes. Like yeah. it, it saw that you can see that everyone kind of played um 
you know, equal Even, minutes because yeah. of because he was of rolling the, the lines. Because, yeah, because yeah. of the score, right? So and Slavkowski once again at the bottom of the list in time on ice. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. They didn't even dress him. They got to quit yes. Shane writing this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I see. No, but it, it's nice to see that the Canadians in a second of a back-to-back with travel in between came home, uh, rolled four lines. Everybody was producing. Everybody was playing their role. Uh, they smelled blood in the water and they really took it to Vancouver knowing that they were a fragile team. And then when Vancouver started to give a little bit of a pushback, the Canadians were able to kind of right the ship and then take over the game again. So that's the stuff that I like to see from a team doing it during this, uh, this rebuilding phase. It's a team that, can identify openings, can identify opportunities, and then pounce on them. Even if they they miss the mark, they're putting that effort in towards something that you know that when they become a contender is going to be the basis of all those wins. Uh, and I'll bring up too, because we talked about it earlier, this was the game where Drew and missed the wide open net. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he is just totally snake bitten right now. Yeah. Although he did get an assist on the power play goal um he did so he did get a point um uh, maybe that'll and he, pl- he played well dadanov i thought played well that game i thought that was his best game of the season uh drew a lot of penalties he, drew a lot of penalties more engaged uh you know was trying to get pucks on the net um and pizzetta i thought had a very good game for only playing nine minutes i thought pizzetta played really well for a guy who was only his second game of the season and been sitting in the press box for i don't know Kind of makes you wonder why Pitlick was waived and not Pizzetta. I know I I think Pizzetta would get picked up, but anyway. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think that's why they went with Pitlick because he's got that second year. It's one point one million, whereas Pizzetta's in the only the one year. It's like eight hundred thousand something or other. Probably would have been picked. Yeah. Um. All right. So, pretty much does it. Uh. Any final thoughts, Matt? I'll just give a shout out to the Canadians uh, for their uh, military appreciation jerseys. I like the uh, I like the addition of the nameplates with the uh, with the poppy on it. They look great. Um, make sure that uh, you go out there and uh, you bid on them because all the money's going back to veterans and veterans charities. And uh, yeah, shout out to the team. I thought they uh, it was a it was kind of a uh, a low key. Um, remembrance day type celebration that they did or uh, before our, our, our ceremony that they did i thought it was it was classy they're bringing out the world war ii vet always great to see uh there's not a lot of them left um so anytime that uh, we can honor um those uh brave individuals then I, i'd love to see it and for anybody that's on social media, because it happens all the time, especially around Remembrance Day or Veterans Day or any of these other Memorial Day, whatever. People that are saying that sports shouldn't militarize or mil- the military or the uh, people shouldn't militarize sports. I can tell you to go fuck yourself like so hard because you bring out a veteran, you bring out an active service member. You bring them out on the ice. You bring them out on a on a court or a field, just to say thank you. It really means a lot to that individual, and it means a lot to the armed forces to see that. And I love how the the uh, the states does it. I wish Canada would pick up, you know, kind of pick up their socks when it comes to this and uh, and do a little bit more. But I thought it was a very good gesture from the Canadians. Uh, they're one of the best in the league. And uh, in honoring uh, those who have served. And uh, that's all I want to say about that. If you think about it, um, who would you, th- who do you think should be given more praise? An athlete being paid millions of dollars for playing a game or someone who volunteered to risk their lives yeah. and, and fight for the, for their country. I mean, right. you, you know what I think, but uh, yeah. Right. But it's a it's a small gesture that teams that teams can do, yeah. and a lot of them do it. And we see some incredible um, clips that come from it. With if either somebody returning home from a deployment and uh, and uh, 
you know, surprising their family members or like even like a service dog coming out and dropping the puck. Like it gets, it gets attention on social media. And I think it's, it's a great thing that they do. And I, I wish more teams would do, do it a little bit more. Greg? Oh, uh, no, just remember tomorrow's Remembrance Day. So, you know, if you want to, be, I'm not going to force you to go do anything if you don't want to, but if you want to see a cenotaph or go to a cenotaph and and and, and uh, witness the ceremonies, I'll be downtown here in Ottawa at the War uh, Memorial. Um, uh, third generation person in the military. My grandfather died in World War II. My father served during the Korean War. Fortunately for me, I, you know, we had the Afghan war, but I didn't go over there. Well, I did with the Navy, but we were far from Afghanistan, but we just did other things. Um, so just, uh, just remember, uh, thank a veteran, uh, put up your Christmas tree, do whatever you want to do because, uh, you know, the veterans, uh, they didn't go over there. And, you know, when you're, when you're complaining about the fact you don't get all your channels on cable, just remember, uh, at this time, uh, in 1940s people your age were uh, not complaining. They were complaining because they couldn't go home. So, uh, or their best friend just got his head shot. So just remember that. Just remember that things could be harder. Things could be worse. And the way the world's going now, things could happen sooner than later. So, and let's hope it doesn't. That's all I guess. And for me, I want to... Uh send my thanks and a shout out to vets canada it's an organization that goes out of their way to provide service to veterans who have fallen through the cracks so people who've gone homeless you know people come back from war that they're changed they're altered could be injuries that you can see or injuries you can't see and these these guys are these people are facing addiction issues and they're trying to self-medicate so they can work through some of their issues and they just fall through the cracks. It's, it's bureaucracy. The veterans affairs is just bureaucracy. It happens, but vets Canada is there to pick up the pieces and they don't just do that for uh, retired or released veterans. They do it for people who are still serving. So uh, I played that tournament today. Uh, raised a bunch of money to provide some more funds for that service. Uh, but you don't have to go out and play in a hockey term to raise money. I try to do it year round. If you feel the urge, uh, say on December 12th or January 5th or July 12th, send them a couple of bucks. Hell, volunteer to help them in some way. Just the, just that little bit will help. It, and it doesn't have to be for Vets Canada. I mean, we also raise money for Add Some House, which is also an anti-homelessness uh, organization, but for abused women. So if that's what's your what's your calling, then volunteer for that. Essentially, what I'm asking is that people step up and help their, help their fellow citizens in some way, shape, or form. You choose the way you want to do it. It's up to you, but if you have the ability to help, you should. That that's what I'm I'm saying today. And please think about our veterans tomorrow uh, on Remembrance Day. Uh, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. Just take a couple of minutes and think about it. And uh, that's that's it for the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all the interactions and. I want to remind you guys that there's going to be some big news coming down the pipe here real soon for this podcast. And it's really, it, we're really excited about this. And I think it's going to be something that improves the show and improves the, the, uh, the quality that we're going to provide you guys. So keep interacting with us, keep sending us those questions. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. We'll